0: hello everyone and welcome back to the football outsiders fantasy show i'm your host scott spratt a writer for football outsiders fantasy Uh, we'll be doing this every tuesday on twitch through the rest of this off season you can find us there at twitch.tv slash fb outsiders you can also listen to us at the football outsiders podcast network on the podcast app of your choice Uh, today we have a special guest we have justin boone coming in from the score justin what's going on how are you I'm, I'm doing great.
1: This is such a fun time of year when training camps are getting going. We got you know Aaron Rodgers plane landing mm-hmm. and showing up in Green <laughs> Bay. So lots of stuff to be excited about. And I'm glad we we're able to do this. I know you reached out last year during the season and the season is so busy and I felt so bad that I didn't have time. Um, but I'm glad we're finally able to do it now.
0: Yeah, you, you should not feel bad, Justin. I know you've got a lot going on, which I know you've got a lot going on right now because I've been over at the score looking at some of your preseason content, which is some great stuff, sleepers busts, some of the players that can win you your fantasy league this year. The Aaron Rodgers thing, it's like we probably should be talking about that all show, but uh, I had already planned poorly, I guess. <laughs> Today, we were going to be talking about some interesting rushing players with some of their stats and splits, and this is coinciding with the new release we have at Football Outsiders on FO Plus, which you can subscribe to right now for $1 a week if you get a full uh, full year subscription, uh, you'll be able to check these out. These are player research tools that let you do filtered queries for a lot of things, including this first one, which shows rushing efficiency. Check that out. Also check out FO Plus for our Kubiak preseason fantasy projections, which I'm updating all the time, including this afternoon after the show today. But we're having Justin on to talk about some of the interesting things that I've found and just sort of get his insights on running backs and quarterbacks with interesting rushing stats and rushing splits And to kind of get that started, I want to kind of focus on the yards after contact per attempt leaders from last year, where you're going to find a lot of the usual suspects. You know, you've got your Derrick Henry near the top, Nick Chubb. Those guys are kind of annual placements on that list. But there are a couple of other interesting names, uh, even among the guys that have some pretty significant carry volumes. But I'll start with the guy with a little bit lesser volume and A.J. Dillon, Aaron Rodgers' teammate up in Green Bay, assuming Rodgers is back, right? Uh, So. I mean, given the connection there with the head coach LaFleur coming in from Tennessee in his days, you kind of got the sense maybe last year that Dylan, the bigger back, he was trying to find a Derrick Henry type of player. And I thought it was really interesting that he led the league among players with this carry threshold and yards after contact per attempt. So Justin, do you think that he can become a Derrick Henry type of impact player? And does Aaron Jones being back in town mean that's going to be a kind of a longer time?
1: I think that's what it is. Uh, in Dynasty, I'm definitely still going out and trying to get him, especially after everyone was so excited. They thought mm-hmm. Aaron Jones was leaving. They'd be able to have Dylan in there as yeah. uh, you know an RB1 for them. And then that disappointment hits when Jones comes back. And I was surprised. I didn't think Jones was going to end up back there. I thought for sure he was going to head somewhere else. Um, but Jones is a little on the older side, right? I think he turns 27 yeah. in December. So we know that's when running backs tend to start dropping off a little bit. Um, so yeah, I do still think that Dylan is going to end up being a productive starter in the league and it's actually pretty good timing. Cause this morning I woke up, I had to make a pick in my pros versus Joe's uh, yeah. FFPC league. And you love when you wake up and you're on the clock and you know, right away, your brain just kicks in and you got to <laughs> make that pick. Um, and I took AJ Dylan in the 12th and I thought okay. that was, was really good value. Some of the other, you know, higher end backups guys like Tony Pollard and and Gus Edwards, uh, Jamal Williams, those guys were going in like the 10th round. So to Mm -hmm. see Dylan fall a couple rounds there, I thought that was great. And we've seen it in Green Bay, you know, Jamal Williams, speaking of him, I mean, he left and he's leaving 119 carries, 35 targets last year. Now, I think some of that work's obviously going to go to Jones, but they haven't really showed that they want Aaron Jones to be that workhorse they've always kind of wanted to involve somebody else in in the offense there so I think Dylan is going to be that guy I think they're going to work him in a bunch um you know I think there's a reason why they used a a second round pick on him you 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 mentioned that off the top um and I think he's still going to be able to soak up a, a lot of work whether it is that you know Jamal Williams role or not I know as a pass blocker he graded out on PFF better than Aaron Jones last year. And that was, yeah. I think, one of the reasons why they constantly kept putting Jamal Williams in there. Um, maybe the coaches felt a little more comfortable with him as a, a pass blocker. So I think the fact that Rodgers is back, really, I wrote him up as a potential sleeper um, in our draft kit. And that was before we knew what was going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. And I kind of looked at it both ways. I thought if Rodgers is there, it's going to be a ton of scoring opportunities. That's fantastic. I think Rogers is going to have some touchdown regression. They threw 48 touchdown passes last year. I think that's going to come back. We'll see that balance out a little more, you know, someone like Aaron Jones went from 16 rushing touchdowns about to nine rushing touchdowns last year. So maybe we'll find a, a middle ground there and, and the rushing numbers will go up a little bit. Um, or, you know, if Rogers left, they were going to have to lean on the run that much more. So I like Dylan either way. And I think when you're looking at those high-end backup guys, if you can get a guy that could potentially give you flex numbers
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: also have that, you know, elite, everyone wants to call that league winning upside. um, That's ideal. And that's why I have him over a guy like Tony Pollard, where I think Dylan is going to get more work in that offense. And yeah, I definitely think it might take a year or two here, but we're going to see him emerge as a quality starter in real life and fantasy.
0: Yeah, Justin, you touched on pretty much all of my thoughts here. Uh, the one, the optimism that I think I'll have for Dylan, like obviously from a dynasty perspective, you love it, and it maybe it would have made more sense for him if Rogers hadn't returned, and that might have been why they brought back Aaron Jones. But with uh, last year with Rogers, like the year before, he had thrown a disproportionately small number of passes from the one yard line, and then last year threw more than basically anybody, and so I think that's why we saw a lot of those rushing touchdowns shift from Aaron Jones to Aaron Rodgers last year. And if that maybe balances out a little bit more this year, maybe A.J. Dillon could be the guy that benefits from that. Yeah, and
1: I think one thing with that offense that, you know, everyone that that has watched that Packers offense, especially uh, Aaron Jones fantasy Mm -hmm. managers, know they like to do that like kind of two series with Aaron Jones, one series with Jamal Williams. So I think we're going to see Dillon get, you know, some full series to himself. It's not just going to be like some people want to just look at it and go, well, he's a big body guy and he's going to come in at the goal line. I don't think that's the case. I think they're going to use him in that offense, in sort of that complementary role, um, and it's going to be okay for fantasy. He's going to be a, a guy that could sneak into your lineup. I think this year as a flex, maybe even on some bye weeks.
0: Totally agree. All right, this next guy is a little bit probably trickier to figure out in my mind. It's really the whole Buffalo backfield is pretty tricky. But I was surprised. I am wearing to see... a Bills hat. It's
1: backwards right <laughs> now, but I am wearing. I'm a Bills fan, so.
0: Okay. Well, good. Then maybe you can give me the insight here because I've been kind of a pro Devin Singletary man. Uh, for a number of reasons but one of which is that he's been such a great break a broken tackle player so far in his career Um, but I don't know they brought in Zach Moss last year as a bigger back maybe somebody you think makes a little bit more sense between the tackles but again last year Singletary actually outdid Moss in yards after contact per attempt by about half a yard per carry so am I right in thinking that Singletary may be the back that has the better chance to break out in fantasy this year? I hope so. I
1: really hope so. I mean, Moss is still recovering from injury. So we got to see what happens there, but it's easy to forget. I mean, Singletary looked really good during that rookie season, right? And he only played 12 games. He was a little banged up, but people forget if you take the the stats that he had in those 12 games and you put them on pace for the full 16 game season, it would have been 201 carries, 1033 rushing yards, 39 receptions, 259 receiving yards and six total touchdowns.
0: Sign me up for that. That would
1: be a breakout, right? Like yeah. last year, I was kind of expecting we might see that and they drafted Moss and, you know, we kind of brought our expectations down a little bit, but there's also, and I'm, I don't want to be the guy that's like looking at these puff pieces in the offseason, but Tyler Dunn wrote a piece on Devin Singletary where it came across like Singletary was a guy who realized that, you know, his, maybe not his NFL career, but his chance to be a star in the NFL maybe that window is closing a little bit and he needed to do something to change that. And one of the big things they talked about in that article, he worked on his speed, he worked on his explosiveness and you know, it's not just that piece. He shows up at OTAs and there's some teammates and some coaches kind of acknowledging that, yeah, he looks a little faster. And when you have Moss, you know, banged up and coming back here, maybe that gives Singletary a bit of an edge here. So yeah, I, I really do like Singletary. I think the problem, though, if we're talking about can he break out, it just comes back to Josh Allen. And that's why I don't think that either of those Bills backs are going to end up being really fantasy relevant. I probably have them ranked lower than most people. I'm the furthest thing from a homer when it comes to my fantasy Mm -hmm. rankings. I want to trust the numbers and my projections. And I have both of them low. And it's because, you know, I was really impressed when a guy like Dak Prescott had uh, six rushing touchdowns each of his first three seasons. And then you have Josh Allen come along and it's eight and nine (laughs) and eight. And so it is going to take Brian Dable and the coaching staff there. It's going to take sort of a a philosophical change on their part, right? Like they're going to have to make a a conscious decision that we want to keep Josh Allen healthy. And listen, he takes some big shots. This is not like a Lamar Jackson, you know, he's kind of sleek and avoiding hits Uh, every once in a while, maybe once a game, I would say, Allen gets hit, and you kind of hold your breath. And I've on I have on a lot of fantasy teams. I'm a Bills fan, like I said. Like, you know, we don't want to see Josh Allen go down. That would be the Super Bowl chances going away. Um, so you kind of you worry about that, and maybe that leads them to decide. You know, we're not going to use them as much at the goal line, and maybe one of those guys, like a Moss or a Singletary, becomes a little more effective down there. Um, but I don't really see that happening. I, I think the way that offense has been rolling, they've been throwing the ball so much. Um, I think they're going to continue to do what they've been doing. And I think that's going to prevent either of those backs from really becoming Mm -hmm. a a true consistent fantasy starter week in, week out. They kind of just end up being more of that flex guy or that bye week replacement uh, guy. And I have them both ranked kind of down in that A.J. Dillon range, which is Mm -hmm. crazy and and sad because you're talking about they don't even have a, a starter in that offense that you can feel confident in. But I just think that's the situation with the way they're running that offense and with Josh Allen's involvement in the rushing attack.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue that Singletary is a high ceiling player because he's, he's kind of the worst combination for touchdown scoring, which is one, sharing a backfield with Josh Allen, maybe the best touchdown scoring quarterback, a bigger back in Zach Moss, and two, doesn't really have elite speed. So like, you might want to compare Singletary to like a Jamal Charles and be like, Oh, well, maybe he can run in a bunch of 40 yard touchdowns. But no, he's really not going to do that unless yeah. he really is in the best shape of his life, which, by the way, I'll be willing to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> But again, the upside here is probably more from a reception standpoint because he's so elusive in the short areas that maybe that can be his way to kind of make it up into borderline running back tube and PPR range, which, I mean, that's still a really valuable player, especially for one going so late in drafts, where I think there's a lot of you know, uncertainty about whether Singletary or Moss is the better fantasy choice, which is why I think you can maybe get Singletary at a bit of a discount, maybe a couple of rounds of value there. The, that, that the
1: value for sure, where, where you're getting him and just the fact that he has a chance and maybe Moss durability ends up being a serious problem for him and he can't stay on the field. And that might be the one situation where, yeah, Singletary could maybe get a little closer to that, mm-hmm. those on pace numbers I talked about from his rookie season. Um, so yeah, based on where he's going, if you want to throw him on your bench, I don't have an issue with that because there is some upside there that maybe he could get up into like the, the RB2 range for fantasy. But yeah, I don't think we're ever going to see him up in, you know, the top 12, top 15.
0: Well, my first thought in the NFL draft this last year related to this was that, yes, it's great. The Bills didn't draft Travis Etienne, which was the rumor, which would have obviously destroyed Devin Singletary's value. I think the Bills hopefully a little bit smarter analytically than that, but then the Jags turn around and draft him. And that just kind of screws it up too, because James Robinson is a player that I really loved. He popped... Last year in the top ten in yards after contact per attempt, so not something you necessarily expect from an undrafted free agent. But now that you're bringing in a first rounder in Etienne, does that screw up James Robinson's chances to have value, uh, or do you think that Robinson may be different enough stylistically that there could be room for both players to excel in fantasy this year?
1: I, I think this one could go either way. It, it mm-hmm. wouldn't shock me if if Etienne comes out. It also wouldn't surprise me if he comes out. They throw him into that slash role that they've kind of suggested and that we still see James Robinson handle a lot of the carries, if not the majority of the carries, which is what some of the beat writers have suggested, right? There's been some yeah. beat writers who think that is what's going to happen and we can't forget Carlos Hyde's there too. And, you know, there's a connection with Urban Meyer from back in the day and in college. So we really don't know what's going to happen here. But when you don't know what's going to happen, that can create an opportunity for value. And when you look at this backfield, if I just – if I just broke it down very, very simply, and I said, we have a, an explosive first round running back, we have a, a sophomore UDFA, and we got a past his prime Carlos Hyde, would you not be super excited about Etienne? Would you not be like, yeah, I want that first round running back? I, I feel like almost everyone yeah. would. I know what we saw from James Robinson last year. I really liked him too. I had him on a bunch of teams. There's still a couple of dynasty teams where I thought, well, I'll keep them just in case. Um, didn't really work out for me in that <laughs> instance so far. Um, but when you're looking at what could happen here, even if Etienne doesn't get this monster workload, and I don't think he's going to be a bell cow. I don't think there's really an outcome here where we see him become that sort of massive workhorse. He could still put up big time numbers. I mean, when I compare him to Alvin Kamara, Kamara was a top three fantasy back in average points scored last year. And he only topped 15 carries in two or three games, I believe like He is not the kind of guy that's getting 20 carries a game to do it. He's the kind of guy that is explosive enough, dynamic enough. They find ways to get him the ball in the passing game. and, And I think that's what we could see from Etienne. It helps that he's attached to his college quarterback. I don't think that can hurt by any means. And that this is just an ascending offense overall. We can't think of some of these teams like the Jags or the Jets is another great example. Everyone has it in their mind what we've been used to with these teams, but... I think things are going to change. We have these young quarterbacks coming in. We have these new coaching staffs, whatever you think of urban Meyer, Daryl Bevel's a pretty good offensive coordinator. He has facilitated a lot of big fantasy stats over the years. So I do, if I'm having to bet on it, I like the value that I'm getting with Etienne. I will still grab Robinson depending how far he falls, Um, But Etienne's not going away. This isn't going to be a situation where I think he's going to completely become a receiver and we're Mm -hmm. going to get the Robinson we got last year. There's not an outcome barring Etienne getting hurt where that's going to happen. So I'm still willing to invest in Etienne where he's going, which is, I think, you know, it's not going to be the Najee Harris, but he's going significantly later than Najee Harris. So you get that kind of, uh, that kind of discount on him there. And then you could grab Robinson and kind of hope that, you know, he turns into that flex and, you know, maybe an injury happens. He's, you know, he would be a a pretty big upside backup for you if he's not in your starting lineup as a flex. So yeah, I'm still really, really high uh, on Etienne even though it is a situation with sort of a lot of possible outcomes
0: that could happen here. I'll mention thanks for Ronald Diaz for following us on Twitch. And if you're listening to us on the podcast feed, remember, you can see us live at 1 PM on Tuesdays and Thursdays at twitch.tv slash FB outsiders kind of circling back to the injury point this is kind of reminds me a little bit of the Colts last year, honestly, when we were entering the year where they were saying Marlon Mack's going to be heavily involved. They bring in the rookie. It's kind of complicated. And the Marlon Mack injury cleared the decks here. And it almost seems like maybe an injury will clear the decks here for the Jaguars between Robinson, between LaVisca Chenault, maybe another player that gets some work in the backfield, even though he's primarily a receiver. It's like there's one too many players for everybody here to sort of excel from a fantasy perspective, but Maybe too that just sets up Trevor Lawrence for success in a way that makes sense. So maybe he's the player that you could think about trying to get value here.
1: I think when we're talking about UDFAs, as much as we all love James Robinson last year, Mm -hmm. the history of what happens to those UDFAs, it's a tough sledding for them, right? Like Philip Lindsay, back to back thousand yard seasons. True. And then the Broncos just sour on him. And like, you know, Robinson maybe profiles as more of a you know sustaining back, bigger body guy, but but still like these guys, they don't have that draft capital. And over time, if you want to make a bet, it's that teams are going to go in a different direction eventually. And when the team, the next season goes (laughs) out and spends a first round pick, that's pretty glaring, right? The the instances where people want to reference like the Seahawks and Rashad Penny and Chris Carson, that is extremely rare where the first round guy is going to bust and you know, the lower guy is going to come up and and continue to take that job. So yeah, I still have a lot of faith in Etienne.
0: I can't really disagree with you. And Etienne is probably the player that I would prefer in fantasy, if only because if you're kind of putting one eye on the fantasy playoffs, you would assume that the rookie is probably going to increase his share as the season goes along. But it's, it's kind of fascinating that this is almost the opposite of that Denver situation where Etienne is more the explosive home run hitting player and Robinson is, has been very effective between the tackles, both in yards after contact and broken tackle rate. He's the player that you would expect, just based on skill set, to, to get the heavy workload. But I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what to make of it. This may be a situation that you would want to avoid these backs unless you're getting you know, later round value in your fantasy drafts. So and yeah, there's a, there's
1: a couple of teams that I'm so excited. I mean, mm-hmm. I talked about you know, training camps coming back around. There's a couple of teams that I'm just so excited to see in in training camp in the preseason. and yeah. I mean, the Jags offense is definitely one of them. The Falcons offense okay. is another, I mean, with Julio gone, but also with Arthur Smith there, how is that going to change things? Is he going to try to bring over and shoehorn the offense that he had with the Titans or are things going to change with some of the weapons they have there? There's just a bunch of teams. And I mean, I mentioned, you know, the jets are another one where so many things are changing. It's going to be so exciting to see and try to figure out last year. We didn't even get a preseason this year. We're going to at least get to see <laughs> some, some teams on the field and try to figure Show. out some of those things before the year starts.
0: Well, you're doing my, my segue work for me. So I appreciate that, Justin, because we're going <laughs> over to the Falcons talking about one of my favorite players, Mike Davis. I'm a Panthers fan, so I'm a little bit biased here, but he fits the profile of a Derrick Henry. I wouldn't say he's that good, but like a definitely yards after contact skilled player. And he suddenly ends up in the, with the Falcons with new head coach, Arthur Smith, coming over from Tennessee. In a team that maybe I expected to draft a rookie that didn't, and suddenly there's not really a lot behind Davis on the depth chart. So do you think Davis has a chance to be a big breakout player this year and maybe get a really heavy workload the way that Henry did for the Titans? How shocking was it that they didn't take a rookie? I mean, very, I, very shocking. I
1: thought for sure that was like a guaranteed landing spot. And I have Davis on a few dynasty teams and I fully was just expecting that. Yeah. They're going to end up getting somebody and whatever mm-hmm. he'll at least be the, the backup that he was last year and maybe an injury happens and he gets in there. So yeah, yeah I was absolutely stunned that they didn't go out and, and get a, a rookie there. I mean, they did. I mean, JV and Hawkins is there and they've talked up Kadri yeah. Olson, you know, going into this year, not a rookie, obviously, but
0: uh, but we're talking about least... undrafted and fifth round type of players here, yeah. right? There is not much
1: competition, or you know, Ian Hartitz's guy, Cordell Patterson. They've, they've suggested <laughs> that they're going to use him as a running back in the offense, maybe. Um, really, just no competition for Davis. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to bring somebody in. That doesn't mean that we're not going to see a a Le'Veon Bell or a Duke Johnson end up there, or you know, maybe even a Melvin Gordon or somebody like that. That you know, if they get cut or traded before the year, we could see one of those things happen, but. Right now, this is Davis's backfield. And just based on the fact that he doesn't have any competition and what he did last year. I mean, he finished as the RB 12 fantasy wise, filling in for McCaffrey. I know that he kind of broke down a little as the year went along. So that's why it is smart to Mm -hmm. keep all those names that we just mentioned and maybe have some of those guys stashed on your bench just in case, because I don't really know if he'll be able to make it through the full season, if they're going to try to give him a a big workload, but they're not going to treat him like Derrick Henry Davis, you know, he's more of a pass catcher. He's not a guy that's going to go out there and put up hundred yard rushing game after hundred yard rushing game. Um, But this offense, even without Julio there, should still be pretty productive. And though Davis might get hit a little because there might not be as many scoring opportunities with Julio out of the offense. I think it means that he's going to get more volume as a pass catcher. I know Kyle Pitts is going to step in there and we'll see Mm -hmm. if he can just become Julio Jones. Everybody thinks he's going to become Julio Jones the first season. I am extremely, extremely high on him. I think he's going to be great, even as a rookie, um, which we normally don't see for tight ends. But he's not going to put up Julio Jones numbers in year one. So some of that production has to go elsewhere. Uh, Calvin Ridley is, we have the sample size last year. It was like seven games. Ridley was over hundred yards every, in yeah, average yeah. without Julio. Um, so there's still a lot of weapons in this offense. It's going to be a really, really strong offense. And that means the running back, the starting running back with no competition in that backfield. I think he's going to be all right now. I know that he's 28 years old. Um, But you're getting that sort of discount on him and he's going in that range of, you know, very risky uh, backs like a a Miles Gaskin depends where you have Daryl Henderson. I have Daryl Henderson just a little ahead of them uh, right now, but they're all kind of in that grouping a chase Edmonds as well these guys that Mm -hmm. could emerge as significant fantasy starters this year. Um, And based on the fact that we saw it from Davis. I will say, unlike a Devin Singletary or someone, I think Davis has the potential. Like the ceiling is there for him to be a top 15 guy in this offense if he can stay healthy and if everything falls right for him. So I think he's somebody that people should be targeting, even though it might not be a full 16 games you're getting on him. But what running back can you trust for 16 games anyway?
0: Sure. And I can't really refute your your fears about a potential injury, given that we've never seen Davis handle that big of a workload. Um, but I do also like that you mentioned he's not just this one-trick pony. I think there may be a perception that Davis is like just kind of a power goal back type of player. With the size really, of those quads, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, understand why people would think that. <laughs> he's huge, but I think he's a little bit more versatile. And I think that he's going to show it this year, not just in the catches, but in some yards before contact success as well. Because while his numbers there were very poor last year, uh, 1.43 yards before contact per attempt, McCaffrey's weren't much better 1.54 I think Carolina just had some really poor run blocking and I wonder with Atlanta if you have better blocking and also a play action based offense that maybe kind of gets Davis out of shotgun gives him some ahead of steam coming into these plays where maybe not the fastest accelerator but once he gets going I think this could be a very good fit which is why I have a lot of optimism for, for Davis in, in uh, Atlanta this year.
1: Yeah. And the opportunity was there last year. Just Todd Gurley had nothing left in the tank, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's really what it came down to. Um, you have still scoring some touchdowns, but just you know, no explosiveness anymore. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, who would have thought a couple of years ago, if we had said that, you know, Mike Davis would be an exciting fantasy option potentially. And Todd Gurley would not be. Um, I don't think anybody would have believed us, but that's where we're at right now. And I think Davis is going to give them a lot more than they got from the running backs last year. And, and that's pretty interesting for fantasy.
0: Absolutely. Okay, digging a little bit deeper with some of these running backs, I want to shift over to a player that I have really loved all offseason, but this research with the new FO Plus page is kind of giving me some questions here. And that's Damian Harris of the Patriots, um, very effective player, one of the leading players in DVOA, so rushing efficiency from football outsiders last year, didn't do a loss as a pass catcher, didn't score a lot of touchdowns but may have extra opportunities, especially if the Patriots shift to rookie Mac Jones, who you would figure would probably score fewer times than Cam Newton on the ground near the goal line. But I noticed that Damian Harris was a lot more successful before contact while Sonny Michelle was much more successful after contact. So Harris, 3.13 yards before contact per attempt versus 1.91 yards after contact per attempt last year. Michelle, 2.06 yards before contact, so about a yard less, but 3.62 yards after contact a yard and a half more than Harris. So one for you, Justin is, is Harris definitely going to be the number one running back? And two, even if he is, are we worried that Michelle might be kind of a goal line vulture, which maybe takes away another Avenue for Harris to be effective in fantasy.
1: Yeah. And I mean, whoever knows with the the Patriots (laughs) backfield, right? That's always been one that's always tough, but this, of all the stats that you sent me before the show, I thought this one was, was pretty interesting. Now the sample sizes, you know, it's a little, I wonder how predictive it is when you're talking about, Yeah, it's it's fairly small for for Sony Michel last year, but it at least gives me some hope that maybe Sony Michel has something left because it kind of seemed like career wise it was going in the wrong direction that maybe injuries had you know sapped his uh, effectiveness. Um, I'm really trusting the beat writers on this mm-hmm. one. A guy like Mike Rice from from ESPN, maybe one of the maybe the best beat writer out there, one of the best across the league. Um, and he said that Harris right now, just a surefire number one running back in that offense, that he's the guy and that everyone else is kind of chasing him, that he has the advantage there. So that's why I'm pretty confident putting Harris as the top Patriots back and and significantly ahead of the rest of the guys uh, in my rankings. Um, with Michelle though, like there was potential that people suggesting that he might even be a cut candidate this season. I know even more recently people saying that like maybe he could be a, you know, Cam Akers replacement if he gets cut or traded that he could end Mm. up with the Rams. Um, And maybe the stats, another reason to be, if that happens a little more um, excited, but with Michelle, I I feel like he is being underrated a little bit and and maybe it's the concerns with the injury. I know even coming in, I believe there was some concerns that of the longevity of his career based on um, his knee issues, but Um, two straight seasons with over 900 rushing yards. So, you know, not, not bad, not bad at all. Um, We know that Patriots rushing attack is, is often near the top of the league. Um, And then last year really only played in eight games. If you include the playoffs and only had more than 10 carries in one of them still had uh, stat lines of 117 yards in one game, 74 yards in another 69 yards in another 76. So he can be productive, right? And and if yeah. that offense, with all the new weapons, with the offensive line uh, being a little healthier this year uh, with everybody there, um, that could be something that could help the rushing attack as well. Uh, but for me, if I'm looking at this situation, this is one where I don't always, I don't just want to trust one beat writer, but it seems like we have a collective from the beat writers saying that Damien Harris is the guy right now in that offense. I like what you said about the Mac Jones thing that we do yeah. expect that Mac Jones at some point is going to end up being the guy this season. Um, And when that happens, they're going to lean on the rushing attack more and there'll be more opportunities around the goal line and and all that sort of stuff. So um, I think that now we might see Michelle stick with the team if there were concerns about him getting cut before Ramondra Stevenson uh, starting on the non-football injury list. Now he can be activated anytime. So who knows if that's going to be a few days or a week or a couple weeks. Um, but that could maybe give Michelle more of an opportunity to stick around with the Patriots. I do think, though, it's a situation where we're going to have to see. And I know I constantly keep referencing injuries with running backs, but this is a reality of, of the running back landscape. I think it would take an injury or a new team for Sony Michelle to end up being really fantasy relevant this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to move off of Harris as being one of my preferred sleepers. But I think this this sort of adds some insight that maybe Michelle is a worthwhile either handcuff or just kind of late round flyer type of pick. And I think this also really illustrates an issue that I think people can have of looking at, say, a, a more basic efficiency stat like a yards per carry and trying to kind of draw a broader conclusion without the extra context. Last year's not a great example, again, because Michelle barely played. So he had a kind of an inflated yards per contact average. But over the course of his career, that's been a lower number than the league average. But again, as a power back, he's probably getting a lot more of those you know, carries in third down situations and those power situations near the goal line where gaining a lot of yards isn't really the goal. And Michelle looks much better when you look at sort of a context stat, like a yards after contact stack, like a rushing success rate stat. So I'm not sure that Harris is as far in the lead here in the backfield as one might expect just looking at the stats. So I'm going to keep an eye on as we progress through the rest of the preseason.
1: And like we said, it's the Patriots, so anybody mm-hmm. could end up, J.J. Taylor, anybody could end up as the, the lead back there at some point.
0: True, Justin. Okay. A guy that I've had a huge soft spot for, even before he made it to the Chiefs and became a Super Bowl hero, is Damian Williams. Yes. Um, and in 2019, when he was more or less the lead back for the Chiefs through a lot of that season, he had a 13.5% avoided tackle rate, was the leader among running backs with 100 or more carries. Um, and he ended up opting out of last season, and I think might be costing himself more money than about any player that opted out. So I hate that for Williams, but I'm hoping that he has a chance to bounce back as presumably the backup for the Bears this season. What do you make of his odds to play? And does that depend entirely on David Montgomery's health? Or will Williams maybe even challenge to kind of get into the mix?
1: Well, when we're looking for these, you know, elite backups, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I always make like a list before the season. And I'm shocked that more people aren't talking about uh, Damian Williams. Like you just laid out the case pretty well there. But I think he is a huge threat to David Montgomery. Not that he's gonna steal his job outright. Montgomery's the lead back there. But you look last season and you know, I think Montgomery, that the RB four finish, you know, he was really helped by the fact that Tariq Cohen got hurt and when Tariq Cohen went down. That's when all of a sudden he got all that passing down work. And then the schedule got extremely easy down the stretch mm-hmm. in the second that's half. Of the season. So there's all those things that, that factor into it. And there was nobody else that deserved to get carries to get touches at all in that backfield after Cohen went down. So that really inflated those numbers, I think, for Montgomery last year. You look at this season now. Now, I get it, Tariq Cohen, probably going to miss the start of the year. Like that's the way they're talking now that he might even start the year on pop but damian williams is there now so anybody that's excited about montgomery they now have a competent guy that they can give some work to right if you want to look at it last year i mean montgomery didn't crack 90 rushing yards in a game until he did it four times over his last six games against those weaker opponents second half of the season Uh, of his 10 touchdowns on the season just two of them came before week 11 so once again Capitalizing on that easier schedule and the situation down the stretch. And then before Cohen went down, Montgomery only saw three targets per game in his first three outings. And then that number spiked to over five um, per contest in the second after Cohen went down uh, for the rest of the year there. So if Cohen's not ready, Damian Williams is a a quality all round back. He can be that pass catcher. He's familiar with Nagy's system from KC. Um, this is a situation where he's walking I know he's an older back and I know he opted out so he's kind of out of sight out of mind people aren't really thinking about him but he's a guy that maybe warrants to be and in my rankings I think I have him up there a little closer to you know the those Tony Pollard type guys yeah. um, not quite on the same tier but not far off um, and then Cohen probably will come back at some point this season so that could also hurt Montgomery as well so I think Damian Williams one of those guys that could see that kind of flex production while also giving you that high-end backup potential. Um, I think he should be on everybody's watch list here to grab late in drafts. Uh, I think he's a great pick. I think it's a great mention by you.
0: Yeah, I love him a lot too. Um, The one thing I'll point out though is that you can't can't just fully make an avoided tackle rate argument with Damian Williams and then say that he's going to supplant Montgomery because Montgomery has been very successful in terms of avoided tackle as well. Fifth best among high volume backs in the last two years. So another player that maybe looks a little bit better with some context stats, not just looking at yards per carry in general, but you're absolutely on point with the fact that Montgomery's quote unquote fantasy breakout over the last five or so weeks last season really had much more to do with the opponents the Bears face than it had to do with him as a player. I mean, suddenly the Bears have Sneaky, one of the best running back, you know, backfields in football, whether or not Tariq Cohen is even a part of it. So I think, yes, that's probably bad news for Montgomery from a fantasy perspective. If you're looking for him to be the running back one that he was last December, maybe not getting that. But also to maybe for the best that Montgomery won't be getting like 300 touches again, if that could be like a long-term injury concern for you. So for sure. it's a kind of a glass half full, glass half empty situation. But Williams, I think, is a player to keep an eye on as a, as a sleeper later in in drafts. Then Justin, circling back to a player that you mentioned earlier with respect to the Packers, Jamal Williams is now on the Lions, and while I think that he's never really been a player that anyone's gotten excited about from a fantasy perspective. And I'm guessing that has to do with the fact that his number one skill is probably in pass protection, which you obviously don't get points for in fantasy, but I'm wondering if he could end up having a bigger role as part of the lions. Uh, not only was he a great pass protector last year, but also stuff for a loss or no gain on just 9.2% of his carries last year. That was the lowest rate among running backs with hundred plus carries. DeAndre Swift has that Alvin Kamara type of upside, but is he more the home run hitter and maybe less the between the tackle runners than Williams? Maybe giving Williams a, a pretty big role.
1: Yeah, you kind of have the story on two fronts. You have what we talked about earlier with Jamal Williams being that kind of vulture guy who you know could work in a coach's favor, kind of like a Malcolm Brown, a guy that the coaching staff's just going to love what he brings to mm-hmm. the table. They're going to put him out there all the time. Um, so you have that, and I, I think that is very valid. You also have Anthony Lynn as the OC there and what we've seen from Lynn's offense with the chargers. I mean, he loved that two back approach, whether it was Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler a couple of years ago, whether it was even Eckler last year with like that weird combination of either Josh Kelly or Justin Jackson, or even Kalen Balaj, we saw Mm -hmm. get in there. Um, They want to use multiple backs and I, they called Jamal Williams. I think it was Lynn himself that called Jamal Williams a type a back I don't think that means he's coming in to be the lead back. I just think that tells you that it sounds like a positive thing. He didn't call him the type D back or something like that. Like <laughs> a, a seems like a good, a good letter to be I'll, associated I'll a, with yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, that they like him and they're going to keep him involved and they're going to want to get both those guys going now. Swift by far the better talent. Swift mm-hmm. was my favorite uh, running back prospect in last year's class. And I think in the right situation, we would be talking about Swift as like potentially even like a top five fantasy back. If he was on a really quality offense and he was the guy, he has the skill set to be an elite fantasy producer. Like that, that potential is there. Mm-hmm. Now, it might take us a year or two to get there. They have a very good offensive line. They do. But my concern is not just Williams getting involved, which I think he's going to be, it's Jared Goff without Sean McVay in his ear. I think that is going to tank this offense. Now they don't have a lot of great weapons in the receiving core. Hawkinson is going to be good, but I don't know what the scoring opportunity is going to be there for him. Um, So he's really going to have to depend on passing down work. And if you have Williams out there eating into that a little bit, which I'm projecting, that's going to bump Swift back down. It keeps him in that RB two range for me and kind of caps the ceiling a little bit. Um, That's my concern with him this year. And yeah, I mean, I mentioned Williams earlier among those like Tony Pollard type guys. Now, maybe he doesn't have the same talent. Um, you know, Tony Pollard could maybe step in and be a, a lead back in an offense and, and be a really exciting yeah, fantasy yeah. option, a really exciting real life option. Um, but Williams is one of those guys that's going to give you something um, as potentially a flex play. And then also be the guy, because I'm not really concerned about any of the backs in that backfield. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, I think should be mentioned among those, maybe maybe more like a Damian Williams, to be honest, um, kind of on that level. Um, And a guy that could be an interesting fantasy pickup at some point this season, um, or a guy that
0: you can stash on your bench. Yeah, I think it's interesting that everyone seems to be on the same page that Jared Goff is sort of a limited player and needs everything to be right for things to succeed for himself. And that really showed up last year. He actually had the biggest split between passing DVOA in clean pockets versus when he saw pressure. So you're like, great, like, you know, this is a situation where he needs things to be right for him. But I'm surprised that nobody's kind of then connecting the dots to the running game to be like, huh, so like if Jared Goff is only an effective passer, when he is properly pass protected, does that mean that maybe he wants Jamal Williams on the field as the best pass blocking running back? I I mean, I really think that the passing game may have a lot to do with who is getting the running back touches. None of that's going to prevent DeAndre Swift from being effective in fantasy because he could be catching balls even when Williams is on the field with him blocking Um, but like I think Williams himself may be sort of a sneaky value that people are are a little bit too focused on his like rushing ability and not a or, or maybe not that but like lack of explosiveness or like limitations to his rushing game when not focusing on the things that he does well and why that may make him a big part of this offense
1: yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. And I think just overall, if you're looking at, you know, I know you shouldn't write off offenses completely, of course. Uh, but when you're looking at which teams, you know, are going to be maybe the mm-hmm. least successful this year, you have to have the lions right up there with the Texans, right? Like they're not far off in that conversation. So there's going to be a couple pieces that are interesting. And I think the value that you can get on Swift right now maybe is the reason that you, you could take him um, if he's falling to, you know, the late third into the fourth round, which I've seen some places, maybe you start to consider him at that point, but I have not ended up with him on many teams. I just like other options better in that range, especially when you're talking about the receivers and yeah. stuff you can get there.
0: So Justin, you mentioned Philip Lindsay earlier and how he fell out of favor pretty sharply in Denver. And that's kind of paved the way, I guess, for the team drafting a new running back in Javante Williams this year. But interesting thing that I saw in the rushing efficiency tool was that both Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay were stuffed on 21.9% and 24.6% of their carries last year, both top five rates in football, very different styles of players. That's something you might expect for a player like Lindsay, who's more of a home run hitter, but not an after contact guy. But Gordon is kind of your, your natural between the tackles runner. And that's kind of made me worry whether was there actually a lot more problems here in the Broncos run blocking than we realized? And does that mean that maybe Gordon may be a little bit more involved this year next to Williams, even though that Williams is that shiny new toy? Like what do you make of the Broncos backfield going into this year?
1: Well, first off, I mean, let's pour one out for the Broncos fans that thought they were getting Aaron because That's obviously
0: not <laughs> True. happening True. now. Yeah. So all the excitement... You're stuck with uh, Panthers legend, Teddy Bridgewater. So exactly. sorry about that one. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, and I think that, potentially factors into what happened with the rushing attack last year. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it is the 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 quarterback quarterback play. play. Yeah. Yeah, The poor quarterback play really allows defenses to just go, okay, where are they going to be? Let, let drew lock, throw it all over the field. He's going to throw three, four interceptions this game. If he does that. Right. So um, with drew lock being that sort of, you know, the maybe one of the worst versions of like a Jameis Winston or something like that, the guy that's going to be erratic, going to turn the ball over, um, you know, maybe isn't doing it. I don't know I'm, I'm just going off of you know some yeah. of the rumors and stuff, but maybe isn't doing everything he needs to be doing off the field in order to be a, a star on the field. There's a lot of factors that that go into it. Um, but when you're looking at the, the running backs there, I mean it's probably a little more narrative based to be honest that that we've kind of looked at it and I can admit that and I'm, I'm guilty of it too, that we've just been looking at it and saying that well, maybe the team's fallen out of favor with you know Melvin mm-hmm. Gordon because, you know, he's got the off field thing. And the, at one point we thought he was potentially going to be facing a suspension. And, but you look at the actions during the off season, what do they do? They go get a guy like Mike Boone, who could potentially be a, a immediate backup. I mean, he's a really sure. good number three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they trade up to make sure that they get ahead of Miami so they can get Javante Williams. And if all the videos, if you watch from, from their scouts, the behind the scenes stuff, they absolutely love Javante Williams. They think that, you know, he is the the future that position for them. And Melvin Gordon's on the older side at, at 28, right? So I don't think there's any question that this is going to be one of those scenarios where this is going to be William's job at some point. It's just yes. a matter of, you know, when that's going to happen. And I actually think, and, you know, not to continue to kind of pile on Drew Locke, but I project that I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to win that job. And it's not that Bridgewater has the, the greatest ceiling. You joked about it a second ago, Right. High floor, but low
0: ceiling. I would say exactly.
1: It's it's more about the high floor, I think. And if we get just average quarterback play with this offense, with the weapons they have in the receiving core, with these running backs, the defense, all of a sudden this team gets into that playoff hunt. They could potentially be an interesting team this year and maybe, you know, Teddy allows you to lift kind of all the boats, maybe not all the way up, maybe not like we're <laughs> expecting from like a Trevor Lawrence, but lift yeah. just enough that, you know, now you're not uh, near the basement kind of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of interested in that. I'm interested in the fact that I know it's a different offense, but Teddy was able to support three top 25 fantasy wideouts last year. And they were three very good receivers, but you go into an offense now where there's three really good pass catching weapons. If you count Noah Fant uh, a tight end. So it, they're not going to, it's not the same offense. Like I'm saying, I don't expect that they're going to throw the ball a ton, but he can at least support some fantasy weapons. And we talked about Mike Davis earlier. He was part of that mix as well, catching passes. So uh, I really like Javante Williams. I think it's going to help the strength of schedule that they're going to face this year. I mean, looking at it, I, I have them as, Uh, At quarterback and at running back, we're talking about easiest fantasy schedules. They're both top three. Um, When you look at their schedule down the stretch, I mean, the schedule down the stretch is just phenomenal for the Broncos week 14 on the lions, the Bengals, the Raiders and the chargers. So that bodes really well for my Scott fishbowl team. I drafted (laughs) Javante Williams on that team, just looking at that. And it's a side note, but you know, Scott fishbowl, I feel like every year I'm making the playoffs, but I haven't been optimizing my lineup enough for those playoff weeks um, so I looked at that a little more this year. And yeah, Williams, I think when we're talking about these, these rookie backs that come in, and we saw it with so many of them last year, Jonathan Taylor, all those guys, that sometimes it takes a little while. And then in the second half of the season, we see mm. those guys come on. Well, now you're going to mix that with this schedule. I think it bodes very well for Javante Williams, and I think Teddy being there helps You know, with some of the issues you mentioned as far as the rushing attack last year. I think it could be really good. And then on top of that, maybe – maybe we are right about that narrative and maybe Melvin Gordon isn't on this team in week one, either. Cause he's traded or cut.
0: Or like the pessimistic view would be like, could this be like the Ravens last year where like Gordon is the Mark Ingram where this is the last year of his contract. They can ride him out until like the week 13, 14 range when Williams can really take over. And for me, like seeing that Gordon, even though the actual, like basic numbers were pretty bad, 7.4% avoided tackle rate, pretty decent. I mean, you know, Javante Williams led college football in broken tackles, so he's probably not that good. But like, I think Gordon is definitely better than his basic stats paint the picture of him. And so, I, I, again, I would be a little bit worried about assuming that Javante Williams was going to be the Najee Harris. Like, it's week one; you're getting 15 touches. I'm I'm just not sure it's happening, and that that's hey. my my main concern.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. I don't think we can assume that in week one that he is going to be that sort of a Najee Harris type guy. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen by any means. But Mm -hmm. even along, if you want to just keep kind of bringing all this together, (laughs) if we look at, you know, if Melvin Gordon, I don't want to harp on that, but if he does end up on another team, you know, I agree with you that I think he brings a lot more to the table than some of those guys that are out there in free agency right now, like Le'Veon Bell or Duke Johnson or some of those guys I mentioned earlier, Adrian Peterson. Melvin Gordon is the guy that if he ends up in – Miami or Atlanta or one of those backfields that's going to be a serious problem for all those guys that I mentioned <laughs> earlier right the Miles Gaskins and the Mike Davises of the world
0: absolutely so if you think the Broncos backfield is confusing try looking at the 49ers backfield <laughs> and making sense of this right and so like I mean I've seen rumors from everything from like Wayne Gallman is the number two back to he's going to get released and maybe the 49ers are going to let Raheem Mostert go but like looking at the actual stats most are i think pops as a guy with a 7.9% breakaway percentage so these are runs of 15 or more yards since 2019 that's the highest of all running backs with 200 or more carries obviously struggled with the injuries but been incredibly effective and shanahanian if that if i can use that as a word as a player that can really kind of like break away you know do some stuff after the catch make life easier on the quarterback justin how would you make sense of this also bringing in guys like Trey Sermon as a rookie, like maybe he's more between the tackles, but like who's going to get the touches for this backfield? It's, it's
1: probably going to be some sort of split. I'm having uh, Edwin Porras at Fantasy Points uh, mm-hmm. on our podcast this week. Um, I definitely want to ask him about Mostert. Um, I don't think I had him on the initial list, so I'm going to have to send that to, to Edwin before the show. Okay, yes. um, because we saw Mostert, basically every time they've given him Sort of the a little more work, maybe something closer to a lead back touches, yep. he breaks down mm-hmm. every time. And this offseason, you know, whether it was a calculated decision to see what they had in Trey Sermon or not, Mostert misses OTAs, has what they call the minor knee issue. They expect him to to be back for training camp, but um that's not a great sign with a guy that you already have durability concerns, and now in OTAs, he's not mm-hmm. on the practice field because of it. So Um, I think that's something that we need to be worried about. I think that factors into them trading up to to get Sermon. But the one thing that holds me back a little bit is as much as I want to say, kind of like we just talked about with the Broncos, well, the team traded up and it's Kyle Shanahan's guy and we know what this rushing attack can do and Sermon's got to be the one. We saw this kind of play out a couple of years ago where we had the exact same storyline. They traded up, they got Joe Williams, and then Joe Williams never became anything and mm. other backs got in there. So we might have to just hold back a little bit on, on using that as like the reason that Sermon's gonna be the guy. Now, sure. in OTAs without Mostert there, the beat writers, the team, it seemed like everyone said that Sermon did not look out of place as the lead back. He was getting the, the first string touches there. So that's that's an exciting reason. Another one, I mean, you look at, I talked about the, the schedule down the stretch for the Broncos, the 49ers, another team with just a great schedule uh, from week 14 on Bengals, Falcons, Titans, and Texans. So should be a lot of scoring opportunities over that stretch. I am still not answering your question. I am just <laughs> saying that that is why you got to invest in these 49ers backs. My projections right now, because of the moster durability concerns, I have Sermon as the, the higher guy, but... I would be taking shots on Bolham because we know when Mostert's mm-hmm. in there, he is incredibly productive. You nailed it. He could change the game in one play, score you that eighty-yard touchdown. Um, so I think you have to take shots on all these guys, including Wayne Gallman later, including even in really deep leagues, dynasty leagues. You got to have like Elijah Mitchell, who kind of yep. projects to be like the replacement Mostert potentially yeah, maybe they, they don't, don't want that to happen this guy. year mm-hmm. but he's re- really really fast he could be that guy right and maybe that's what they're envisioning it's quite the upgrade if you go from you know Mostert and jeff wilson to potentially like sermon and mitchell if they can really emerge and you kind of just restock with these these rookies so yeah. um i would just be putting chips on everybody if i had to pick just one it would be sermon because i think he at least gives us the most hope here that he could end up being that sort of full-time guy that bell cow that alfred morris kind of back in the shanahan system that that puts up pretty big
0: stats for you in his first season you really don't need to answer that question fully justin because useful title on twitch pretty much answered it with the 49ers running back depth chart is truly anyone's best guess as to who the top (laughs) running back will be but i think the reason that's the case is because Mostert, despite the lack of pedigree despite the injuries has been so exceptionally effective when he's been on the field and i think That's why I'm a little bit more pessimistic about Sermon than I am about these other main running backs this year. In particular, I would say Michael Carter is a guy that is another kind of middle round guy, but I think has a little bit easier path to getting a good amount of workload for the Jets this year. uh, year. Yeah.
1: And and the the same system, right? I talked about it before, like Mm -hmm. the people kind of just look at the Jets and think of what they've been, but you have that 49ers coaching staff really coming over there now. So it's an offense where I, for sure. I mean, I don't really love Tevin Coleman. I don't think even in the opportunities he got in San Francisco, he did that much, but Michael Carter, uh, Ty Johnson with mm-hmm. the jets. I think those are names that you got to have on your team this year, because one of them could emerge as the the lead back there. And I will also say the one thing I always feel that the need to mention this with Mostert is the age thing because he really emerged late in his career. I think people look at him and go, okay, what? He's like 26, 27. He's like 29. And yeah. Not a lot of miles on him, but also if if we're looking even past this year, uh, even if we're looking at the durability concerns, and we can all probably admit this, I mean, as a 29-year-old, maybe it's a little harder to recover than, you know, if you were a 22, 23-year-old from some of those injuries. So uh, just another thing to keep in mind when you're looking at Mostert, especially beyond this year that that might be a reason why they're investing in running back so much in the draft. Cause there was also that issue last year with the contract thing. And um, th- there's a lot of kind of factors around most that I worry about mm-hmm. his uh, long-term outlook in San Francisco.
0: Talking about some of these rookies like sermon, like Michael Carter, I was using the rushing uh, efficiency tool up on Football Outsiders on FO Plus to look at some of the splits that running backs had from the first half of the year to the second half. You can actually run those splits from any week, any time frame that you want up on the site. But it really popped for me like how powerful some of the increases were in both workload and effectiveness of some of last year's rookies like Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, and DeAndre Swift were you know, increasing their, their fantasy points per game by all six or more fantasy points over the second half of the season. So for you, Justin, like, do all of those running backs stand out as being guys that are going to continue what they did in the second half over the course of the full second season, or do you have any concerns that there may be some sample size quirks here and that maybe some of these players may not be as effective as they looked toward the end of the season?
1: Um, No, I I think we'll probably see something similar um, from most of those guys. I mean, we've kind of touched on along the way, you know, Swift is going to be splitting a little bit here, but um, you know, and, and same with a uh, Dobbins and, and Gus Edwards, like mm-hmm. there's going to be other guys involved in those backfields, but those guys are, are the lead backs. Um, you know, I just still, I view them because of the competition that they have there. I view them more in that RB two range than the RB one range. Now, Taylor is very interesting because I'm watching this one really closely. And it also kind of ties into the, the cam Akers situation as well, because we yeah. have last year, Taylor down the stretch, Put up great numbers. You could make like a David Montgomery argument against him if you wanted to because the schedule was really easy. But he was still splitting with Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines was putting up pretty good stats down the stretch. And Taylor was just putting up dominant stats, right? And yeah, easy schedule, all that sort of stuff. But uh, I think the talent's there for him to be a a really, really big fantasy producer uh, for a long time. Now, Marlon Mack, Achilles injury last year. I had basically written him off i thought Mm -hmm. they gave him a nice contract because they like him and it was like two million or something and you know they'll bring him back and maybe he'll end up on pop or maybe they'll set him out for the year or he'll just kind of be that you know third back that doesn't do that much in the offense today we're getting a lot of reports coming out of the colts camp saying that marlon mack looks fantastic watch out for him this year so now that gives me a little bit of pause because we've seen that the colts are a team that's willing to use that third back and they like Mac and early last year, before he got hurt in that first game, he was being used quite a bit. Now, would it still have gone the way of Taylor as the season went along? I think so. But when we're talking about upside, we're talking about can Taylor get into the top five? I think he could, even if Hines was there, I don't know that he can if Mac is healthy and actually contributing something. I think that would siphon a little bit more off and, and that would be an issue. Um, so that, that I'm definitely worried about. And then if we want to talk about acres quickly, just looking, cause yes. Mac, I was going to be focused on him all year long because <laughs> love, I wanted to see
0: acres hated, hated to see it.
1: Yeah, I know. Same. I know it's the same. Um, but I want to look at what's happening with Mac. Cause he's a little bit older. He's 25 acres is 22. But this is going to give us an idea of can he get back and be a, a real contributor? Can he get back? And he's not going to come back and take the job from Taylor. We're not looking for that to happen. We're just looking, can he come back and be most of the player that he was last year before he got hurt and, and, it's very, very small sample size. We're not even seeing him on the field yet. We're just hearing what they're saying in camp and seeing them run through some drills, but this is at least a positive sign. The first step towards that, um, because we know that those Achilles injuries are just awful for running backs. And we don't have a lot of examples of guys coming back and being high end producers. Yeah. So if we could see Mac come back and at least look like some semblance of himself, that could give us some hope for acres next year.
0: Yeah. agree with that. And, I don't know. I kind of view the Colts a little bit like the Bears, which is that like Taylor is, is obviously the number one guy, but there's enough back behind them where I wonder if it won't be the like slam dunk top five running back production kind of digging into that too. is like you mentioned how, despite Naeem Hines being so active in the passing game, Taylor was getting that heavy workload, but Philip Rivers is also a quarterback that really relies heavily on passing down to his running backs. And I wonder if Carson Wentz is, is kind of more of a, a shot taker, maybe that really won't necessarily be his style. Like n- not, not to talk you out of Taylor here, but just well, I think that would talk that- me out of Hines more than anything. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that's fair more worried
1: for Hines Cause we, last year we were kind of connecting the dots with mm-hmm. rivers, like you're saying and going, okay, could could Heinz be like that Austin Eckler light kind of for rivers. And he was pretty sure it was like RB 16 and PPR by the end of the year. Like he put up half decent stats um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you that I, I think we have to look at Taylor now and, and start to kind of question what the ceiling is there if Mac is going to be if Mac's going to be back, which is, like I said, very, very surprising from what I kind of expected uh, during the offseason.
0: So we're coming up on the hour on Twitch, uh, the Football Outsiders fantasy show, twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders, also on the Football Outsiders podcast network. But Justin, before I let you go, I want to touch on a couple of quarterback-related rushing topics. Again, this is something that you can research on the new rushing efficiency tool on FO Plus on Football Outsiders. I think we all know at this point that rushing is kind of the key to fantasy value for quarterbacks. Um, anybody that can kind of do both, that's really kind of the ticket into the top 10. And some of these guys are really obvious, but I was noting that there were a handful of quarterbacks with breakaway rates above 7% last year, a lot of these guys being the you know Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray. Lamar Jackson, these guys that are so obviously in the top 10. But then you also notice Jalen Hurts is up there at 9.5%. Daniel Jones is up there at 9.2%. Players that we maybe not we don't think about as being those type of rushers or maybe just in Hurts' case, a player that's newer to the league, hasn't had a lot of starts. We don't really know what he is. But like starting with Daniel Jones, I guess, do you think that the rushing can continue to increase? 45 carries as a rookie, 65 last year. Could he bump that up even more and maybe jump into the top 10 in fantasy even if the passing isn't all the way there?
1: I think he could bump it up a little more. Um, now, jumping into the top 10, that's a whole different situation because there okay, are so many good quarterbacks, right? Like to to look at Jones and think that he could consistently you know, produce and, and give you those top 10 numbers, I would be a little bit worried about that. I see him more as that nice kind of bye week replacement, maybe your QB2 yeah. in a, a two-quarterback super flex league. Cause we can't discount also on top of the rushing stuff and the rushing stuff. He was one of those guys that, you know, coming out kind of had that rushing ability and we saw it more in his, his rookie season. He put up some, some good numbers and kind of it allowed him to have some big games during that rookie season. Um, we can't discount the fact that now Saquon Barkley's coming back at some point, you know, might not be week one, but he's going to be back at some point yeah. early in the season. Um, and then Kenny Galladay and, you know, we're not going to compare it to Josh Allen. This is not going to be Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, but it's another weapon and a guy that really slides in nicely and gives them like a potential true, you know, big body on the outside, uh, you know, potential real number one receiver um, in that offense. Now I brought this up before in other shows and I will give Addison Hayes credit um, for actually posting the the splits on Twitter. But when you look at the splits since 2019, Jones had 12 games with Saquon Barkley in the lineup, 15 games without him. Uh, Jones averaged 248 passing yards with Barkley, only 199 without him. Um, At 1.9 passing touchdowns per game and 0.8 without him. So really significant splits with Barkley in the lineup or not in the lineup, but that's not even accounting for, for Galliday, Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I have a hard time investing in him just because I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. I hate to say <laughs> that. He's a great quarterback for being able to make it to the NFL, but sure. I don't think he is going to be the long-term answer there. I think this year they're giving him, you know, as much as they can. They didn't really address the offensive line as much as they should have. And for a a quarterback that I think, you know, has problems when he's under pressure, I I think they really should have invested more in the offensive line, but they've given him a lot of weapons to work with. And Barkley will be back. Um, And with the rushing ability. Yeah. I think there's a chance that he could sneak into that top, 15 maybe um i think it would have to be a year with a bunch of injuries for him to get into yeah. the top 12 or even the the top 10 because you could just rattle off the names like there are so many guys with the, the young guys with with legs also the you know tom brady's and the matt staffords and those guys are still around and probably going to put up pretty big touchdown totals this year aaron Rodgers as well Um, so to sneak into that top 10 is going to be incredibly difficult so what I think we're going to see is more of what we saw maybe down the stretch during Jones's rookie season which was some really big blow-up games Um, you know maybe they're they're coming back and he's running and he picks up a rushing touchdown as well and he has these big weeks but we are going to see some nightmare performances where he turns the ball over um, not just interceptions but fumbles um, and I think that's ultimately going to spell the end for him in New York after this season. And they'll be looking for a, a long-term quarterback next year in the draft.
0: So that's interesting. Cause I feel like a lot of those things you could be saying about Jalen hurts, but I'm curious about what your thoughts are on him as a bit of a sleeper.
1: So I've, Recently bumped Hertz down based on the uh, on the Watson kind of reports. Um, That kind of scares me a little Mm -hmm. bit because when you fact, there was already some risk to him. Very small sample size last year. Um, You know the the big games that he did have kind of came in like really perfect game script scenarios, and he had to throw to keep up with. I think it was the Cowboys and the Cardinals. I might be wrong about that, but um, so there was already some risk, and then you factor in. Okay, now the Eagles are maybe interested in bringing in a Watson, um, that's really concerning for me. So I still think that Hertz, you know, he, he has the look of maybe that Lamar Jackson or Lamar Jackson light, let's say um, from Lamar Jackson's rookie season when Jackson, you know, came in down the stretch, I think it was after week 10 or week 11, put up really nice QB one fantasy stats, thanks to the rushing. And then the next year took that huge leap. Um, I don't think that we're going to see as big of a leap from Hertz if he ends up being the starter, mm-hmm. but he could come in and do that this year because the rushing stats for him while we're talking about Daniel Jones being, you know, a, a passing quarterback who can run the ball hurts. It really has to be built around the run with him. And we knew that coming out that a team was going to have to take him and kind of like Lamar Jackson, they were gonna have to make a decision to be, all right, we are going to be a run first mm-hmm. team and the passing is kind of going to be secondary. Now, you could make an argument for him and say that, you know, the offensive line last year down the stretch was banged up and he didn't really have great weapons that he was throwing to he a lot of injuries there. And so this year, the offensive line, a little healthier, you added him Smith and, you know, Jalen Rager then slides into the role that he's probably more suited for being that number two, you know, Dallas Goddard kind of taken over for a, a fading Zach Ertz. Um, so there's some things that you could look at and, and, build the argument that maybe he can be that top five fantasy quarterback. So while we look at Daniel Jones and I say, I don't see the path for him really cracking that top 10. I see the path for, for Hertz doing it. I I definitely think it's possible. I mean, he averaged almost 22 fantasy points per game from week 13 to week 16, which are those prime weeks last year during the fantasy playoffs. So everybody remembers that very well. Um, But because of that Watson thing and because of some of those other, you know, just the uncertainty around, uh, his profile, um, based on the small sample size and everything, and the potential that he could come out and not be good. Like, the, I don't know that I'm going to look at him and <laughs> say that he is the the yeah. next Lamar Jackson. It's just he could be that. Um, I felt a lot more confident in Lamar Jackson going into that second year. Um So, th- based on all of that with the Watson stuff, that's caused me to to bump him down a, a little further. I think I'm at QB 13
0: in my last update. Well, Justin Boone, thanks so much for joining today. Um, you're over at The Score, but tell everybody how they can read all of your work, listen to you, all of that stuff. I,
1: I appreciate that. I appreciate you having me. Like I said, off the top, I'm glad we were finally able to do this. Um, all my stuff's available for free at The Score. Uh, download The Score app. Um, I, you know, our draft kit it came out recently. The score offers all that for free as well. There's a, a ton of great sites to pay for. I mean, Football Outsiders being one of them, I love some of the work you guys do and, and I use you guys, your guys' stuff all the time. Um, but yeah, the score, download the app, uh, follow me on Twitter at Justin Boone and listen to our podcast. I, I briefly touched on it there. We'll have Edwin Porras talking about, uh, Cam Akers and Michael Thomas, and you know all these injuries that we're concerned about heading into the season. What we can expect for those guys' recovery timetables, and what we should expect for them fantasy wise this season. That's the Score Fantasy Football Podcast, and you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, pretty much.
0: Everybody, check it out. Justin does great work; already has a ton of great preseason content up to help you prepare for your drafts. And I would encourage everybody to head over to Football Outsiders. Uh, For for a limited time through this weekend, you can sign up for FO Plus for a dollar a week. um, If you sign up for an annual subscription, that'll get you access to this rushing efficiency FO Plus tool that I mentioned. We're rolling out a number of those. We'll be talking about on this show over the next few weeks. Also get you access to the Kubiak preseason fantasy projections. Uh, So definitely sign up for that. And then stick around for next Thursday or this Thursday in two days. Aaron Schatz will be back up on Twitch, back up on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network doing the FO Radio Hour. So check that out. Check me out every Tuesday. And thanks again, Justin, for joining. we will love to have you back on again. Hopefully find some time this season to make it work. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs>